Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. church how we doing good okay you sound real enthused good um man my name is Corey. i'm excited to be here one of your uh, one of the pastors on staff if you're new to heights let me take a minute uh just to welcome you uh, at heights we're really about three things we're about the gospel community mission and the primary way that we walk those out is uh, as chris references through uh missional community it's kind of the way that we do life uh, together, the way we try to learn uh, how the gospel applies, the gospel story applies to our story, and how we're called to take that out on mission uh, and the everyday stuff uh, of life. And so if you're not yet plugged into an MC, uh, let me invite you to download a little app called Planning Center, or Church Center, sorry, Church Center app, um, and it'll allow you to kind of get plugged in, and that way it shows you where all of our missional communities are uh, by proximity, allows you to give online if you like to do that, um, or if you tithe, if you're tithing, if you're in that place through your walk with Jesus. Uh, and then also any event that is coming up, RSVP, you can RSVP. Uh, for those events there, we'll also sign you up for a weekly email. Um, we do fewer and fewer announcements uh, every week. Our goal is to only do two. Uh, and then your, our uh, expectation is that you would then get that email and take a look and see what's happening uh, all across the life of the church. Sound good? Yeah. All right, cool. Well, as I said, my name is Corey. I get to be your teaching pastor uh, for this week, and I'm excited Uh, to get to announce to you that this will be my last week teaching uh, in the book of Revelation in this church building. And so we're going to be moving out of this space, uh, which is the front row was like, (gasps) what's happening? (laughs) What's he announcing? It's going to take a lot. He's going to have to do a lot more work, girlfriend, to get me to sit down, okay? Um, I didn't know I had a gear I got to step into in the last two years. And so um, in that, we get to move. And so I can't read all that uh, from here. I'm 37 now and getting old, but it looks like it says the last Sunday uh, is going to be October 30th. And so I want to encourage you to be praying for that. Um, it's going to be a full house in here. It's going to be completely packed. I'm guaranteeing there's standing room only uh, that week. So get here early. Get your kids checked in uh, early to Heights Kids. We'll put this out on social media too for those of you taking pictures of it. Uh, then the next week is going to be a, a moving day. So we're going to spend that week between the 30th and the 6th packing boxes and labeling things and getting them rocking and rolling. We're going to have sign-ups for you. We need about 50 adults, uh, no kiddos, okay? No kiddos. We love your kids, but we've got a lot of work to do, and it's not super safe for them. We have uh, 175 small kids we do not need under our feet while we're moving boxes, all right? We love them. They're just not welcome right now, okay? <laughs> I have four. They will not be here. So... Uh, the 6th, though, we need about 50 people here, uh, and then we'll need about at least 50 people over at the new building, and so we're going to be loading U-Hauls here, cleaning up stuff, and then we're going to truck uh, everything over there, and then we're going to have uh, work days on there. Uh, we will not have a traditional service such as this. Uh, we might not even have chairs, chairs built at this point, uh, but we, what we are going to do is that work should be worshipful, uh, and so we'll make sure to take a hard stop uh, at either location on that first date especially, and then even over in the new location uh, for the adults that are present. Uh, we're going to do a hard stop in our work day and worship the Lord uh, through actual worship. And so we'll do a little bit of worship music, some liturgy, maybe like a 20-minute, 15-minute sermonette, and then we'll maybe take communion together and then get back to work. That sound good? Uh, those work days, though, are going to be long. I was at 9 to, somebody's got to help me because I can't, I really can't read that from here. 9 to 1, 9 to what, Jeff? 9 to the uh, an undisclosed amount of time, okay? So you just sign your life away to us. Uh, I do think there's breakfast and lunch that will be given to you. Uh, I have no doubt people are going to rally. You all are going to rally around this and get it done. It's an exciting, uh, fun time. For some of us, it's been five years uh, in the making. Uh, for others, it's been a little bit uh, less, but God has been good. And so in light of that, that rolls us into the text. As I reflected over the last two and a half years uh, here in this building, she's been a beautiful house for us. Amen. We've got to see a lot of incredible things happen. Just as I said last night, I was kind of processing like 50, 60 different people that have uh, been baptized in the last two and a half years that I could think of, uh, multiple professions of faith. We've launched multiple missional communities uh, while we're here. Uh, we survived COVID in the midst of this. Come on, right? We made it through all that. God doubled our church in size in the midst 
of all that. It has been absolutely, I mean, just way more than we deserve. Uh, getting to do a capital campaign, I think you all gave over $126,000 more than what we even asked you uh, to be able to give, to be able to make this move and get into this building. It has just been an incredible amount of time. I don't have to oversell it. I can't even undersell it. It's been absolutely great. We've had families that we've got to physically see restored, marriages restored, people walk away from addiction. We've got to see, I mean, all sorts of incredible things. And what's interesting about that uh, is that at the same time, right, the gospel never uh, separates suffering from celebration or uh, celebration from suffering. And so in the midst of suffering, you'll see celebration. In the midst of celebration, you'll regularly uh, see suffering. And so in this, here, what I want us to, to do is I don't want us just to be thinking about like only the good and the incredible that happened because there was a great deal or is a great deal of grief as well. And so even as you think about leaving this space, I mean, this is a home that folks had called Collinsville Community that about 200 plus of us just kind of moved into uh, and took over at one time, right? And we didn't know, is it going to just be a building and some people or is it going to become a home that houses a family? And in God's sovereignty and grace, he allowed it to be a home that housed the family. And so even in that, we're eternally just thankful. But there is a level of grief that comes with that loss. Uh, Even if you've been here the last six months moving to a new building, there's going to be a level of grief that comes because of the loss of this space, right? And so uh, with that in mind, uh, this uh, two weeks ago, we... Let me get my thoughts straight. Two weeks ago, the elders and I, the pastors and I, got to go through uh, something called grief counseling, where we sat with a a counselor specifically. He specializes in pastoring pastors and counseling pastors, and he took us through like three and a half, four hours of grief counseling. And one of the things uh, he said to us is this, grief is a dance between time and love. If you're a note taker, I would suggest you write that down. Grief is a dance between time and love, or if you're online, thanks for tuning in, I typed that out for me. Grief is a dance between time and love. And the reality is this, everything that you love is going to come to an end. Uh, There's nothing that you love that does not have an expiration date on it. Uh, Your marriage, even if it's the healthiest marriage here, it has an expiration date. One of you is going to die. Uh, Your kids have an expiration date. Either they're going to leave you or you're going to end up leaving them. Uh, everything that you love, everything that you find yourself anchored to will, in fact, come to an end. There's an expiration date, and that's what actually leads to grief. Grief is not just an emotion. It's a process. It's processing the feelings that come when the expiration date comes on something you love. You still tracking with me? Okay. And so that's what he said. He walked us through that for, I don't know, three and a half uh, to four hours. Well, I got to thinking about that and thinking about this text for today in Revelation 21. What would the world look like if there was no expiration date? Like, what would the world look like if there were no decay, if there was no death? I mean, death ultimately comes because of time, yeah? Think about anything that you love or have, even ourselves, we're going to come to an end. What would the world look like if there was no expiration date? What would the world look like if there was only grace? If there was only love, if there was only mercy, if there was only forgiveness, what would the world look like if that was the world that we were invited into? That was the world that we got to see. Well, I would argue that is the world that's being revealed to us in Revelation 21. That's the world that we get to explore today. So the big idea for today, I actually changed it uh, this morning because I felt so overwhelmed by the text and the task that's been given to me at hand that I text Matt during the first worship gathering, and I just text him, hey, I changed it this morning at five. Here's the new big idea. The big idea is this. The kingdom of God is. Like, I I couldn't put a label on it. I'm going to give you a bunch of really neat and fantastic things for you to kind of boggle your mind today, but the reality is, like, I just couldn't put a title on it. You with me? Like, it's too grandiose. It's too incredible. It's too fantastic for me to put a title on it. So, in good fashion, I'm going to give you three points. Renewed place. Renewed people, renewed presence. Renewed place, renewed people, renewed presence. And then we're just going to let the gospel blow our minds together. Sound good? Yeah. All right, rev- renewed place. If you're ready, say ready. It's ready. my last sermon. It, it better be good. Yeah? No pressure? That's what I said earlier. It's going to be a doozy. Let's go. Let's go. It's an easy text to preach. 
Revelation 21.1 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, uh, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And so uh, we're going to camp out here in verse 1, but verses 1, is that my microphone? What is that, Jeff? Sorry. Should I use a handheld? Is it really, is it every time I move? Hey, sorry to break the fourth wall, but it's, I have ADD real bad, and it's going to mess. Remember that wind that was blowing that day? We're outside, that outside gathering. Can you either give me a handheld or fix that? Um, verses 1 through 8, the Apostle John gives us an overview uh, of what he sees. Okay, we're going to camp out. and Oh, man, look at this. I need to go all Stephen Furtick on it. Okay. All right, let's start over. Renewed place. When you're ready, say I'm ready. All right, here we go. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea uh, was no more. All right, here we go. So this is verse 1 of 8. In the first verses, verses 1 through 8, the Apostle John gives us an overview for what he has seen. And then in verses 9 through 27, the Apostle John, in normal fashion, he zooms in and takes a look at, like, here's what I was talking about. And so if you've been with us in the book of Revelation, you know this. You've seen this happened in the book of Revelation, like whenever he talked about worship in the kingdom, and then he zoomed in, and he said, there's 144,000, it was Jews, it was Gentiles, it was those who were righteous, and they were singing a new song, and then he zooms back out, and he goes through some more information, and he, boom, hits us again, and this is no different than what he's doing here, and so we've seen this numerous times, going from 30,000 feet to the ground, so we're going to do that, okay, so verse 1 was really clear, I see a new heaven and a new earth, that's 30,000 feet. But if we get into 9 through 27, there's some things that happen down on the ground that we have to pay attention to. So there's three things specifically that are going, that I want you to see. And so if you're a note taker, this is your time to shine. You need to take this down. First thing is this. The tribes and the apostles laid the foundation. The tribes and the apostles laid the foundation for the new, created, renewed place, for this renewed space. It says this in Revelation 21, 12 through 14. It had a great high wall and 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And on the east, three gates, on the north, three great gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and had the perfect amount of foundations laid. And on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles. So he mentions in there both the tribes and the apostles. So what? Like, what does it have to do with us? Who cares about that? Well, what it means then is this. The reason he's laying that out about the 12 and the foundation, the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles, is this. Every single bit of work that has ever happened in what's called redemptive history, that is, every bit of work that has happened in this book that we can read about, every single bit of it, every life, every death, every celebration, every moment of suffering, every story that we can read and we can engage with the apostles and with the prophets and with those who have come before in the Old Testament matter. Every single moment that was penned, church, was penned for this moment here, for this renewed place, this renewed space, this new heaven and this new earth. There is not a moment wasted in here. Are you with me? Like the word of God is important to us. Right? For those that say, I'm a New Testament Christian, I don't read the Old Testament, they have no idea what's happening in the book of Revelation. They have no framework for what's happening in the book of Revelation. They, don't, they look at the same city as us, and it doesn't carry the same value as us. Because as you engage the OT, as you engage the Old Testament, and you fall in love with the prophets and the priests and the kings and all that have come, man, when you see this city, this renewed city, it gives you so much more to care about. Because you're like, I know those men, I know those women, and they laid this foundation for me. There was not a moment that was wasted, church. There is not a moment that will ever be wasted if you spend it in the Word. There's not a moment that you will waste. Second thing is this. God's glory is at the center of this recreated place. God's glory is at the center of this recreated place. Revelation 21.15 says this. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And, the, and he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia, its length and width and height are equal, right? 12,000 times, 12,000 times, 12,000. You've seen this repetition in the book of Revelation, yes? What is he saying? He's saying it's the perfect measurement, it's the perfect width, it's the perfect height, it's the perfect depth, and we all got a place there. 
It is absolutely perfect. There are only a few places in all the scripture that talk about the four-square design in this way, and they happen to be in the Old Testament. Back to you have to know the Old Testament. There's a space in there whenever Moses would go into the tabernacle, and he would enter into the tabernacle, and he would walk into what's called the what? The holy of what? The holy of holies. And he would come out of that, and he would be seated before the Lord, and the Lord would give him instruction, and Moses would come out, and his face would shine like these lights. You can't see anything when you look at him. Just like, I can't see y'all because of these lights. Like, LEDs were glued to his forehead, right? And in that, people would look at him, and they would think, oh, he's terrifying. I can't be around him. It was because he was in the Holy of Holies. The other place that we see the Holy of Holies is in the actual temple and on the Day of Atonement and the priest would go in and he would have to uh, make intercession for the atonement and they would literally, the people would all but literally tie a rope around that priest because they're like, dang, if things go crazy in there with the glory of the Lord, we got to be able to get that cat out of there. And so he would go in and he would make atonement. What's beautiful about this here is that this renewed, okay, listen, this is a renewed literal city, and it is the Holy of Holies. That's the point that the Apostle John is making. Okay, You're not going to die and get a harp and go float on a cloud or be some beam of light out there and finding Dumbledore somewhere or whatever you're into. That ain't going to happen. What is going to happen is that there's going to be a literal, physical city where you are seated in the center of the Holy of Holies. All you're going to know, all I'm going to know is the very glory of God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And we don't have enough Christian imagination in this room combined to understand what that's going to look like, yeah? I mean, it's crazy to think about. It's actually unfathomable to think about. Listen here, this is the house, though, that Jesus says, man, my father has many rooms in his home, and I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Listen here, this is the place that's being prepared. This is what he has in mind for us. When we sat uh, in our worship planning meeting, we talk about that a lot. It happens on Tuesdays. Uh, you're welcome to come on a Tuesday if you want to come, 10 o'clock. And it's at the office. And um, uh, David Seaton was talking, and he said 12-year-old David was freaking out, you know, many, many moons ago. And uh, he did the math. And he was like, how are we all going to fit? 12,000 times 12,000 is 120 miles. He did the math. How are we all going to fit? Listen here. We're all going to fit in the glory of God. We're all welcome. We're all going to fit. There's going to be plenty of room. Right? And then what did Jess say? Jess was in that meeting. And she goes, and I think we get a house up in there too. <laughs> I said, oh, and we get a house up in that mug, girl. Come on. Right? We're all going to fit. It is perfectly sized and suited because it is literally in the presence and in the center of the glory of God. Nothing can keep you from it. Third thing that stands out in light of those texts down below. The gates are wide open, church. The gates are wide open. Revelation 21, 25 says this, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. The gates will never be shut. What's that mean? Somebody preach to me. Why do they have gates? Talk to me. Fourth wall. Let's go. For protection. Yeah, why do they have a strong tower for protection? Why do they have high walls? Protection. Why do they have gates? Protection. He's saying this, there's no need for gates. There simply is no more enemy. There's no one to wage war. There is no night. There is no thief to come in the night. There's nothing bad that can happen. Are you scared of the dark? There is no darkness. Everything has been gone. The enemy has been completely annihilated. That's it. It is over. The gates are wide open. There's no, listen, there's no unrighteousness there. There are no sinners there. There's literally nothing there but the saints and the glory of the Lord and the Lamb of God seated on the throne forevermore. That's what he sees. Three things that stood out in case you missed it. The saints laid the foundation. God's glory is at the center. And the gates are wide open. All right, now let's zoom back out and get back into verse 1. Verse 1 said again, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I love this. There's this little debate. Oh, my God, I had so much fun with this this week. There's this little debate between what, it, what this means. What does this mean? Does it mean that the, the earth is completely gone? Does it mean that everything is completely passed away? Does it mean that all of, completion, or all of creation was completely eradicated? Or does it mean that it was actually created anew? Like, what does this mean? 
uh, mean? And those are great questions. I think you should ask those sorts of questions. That's what actually sharpen you uh, in the faith. But I'm going to show you where I land, and I'm going to tell you uh, why I land in this uh, place. There are two Greek words in the New Testament for the word new. There are two Greek words in the New Testament for the word new. The first word is this, neos, which means to have recently appeared or new, recently appeared or brand new. Something has appeared that was not once there. It did not exist, and now it exists. If you want to put this in layman's terms, let's imagine you don't have a car, and you need a car, so you go buy a car. Poof, now you have a car, right? You just neosed yourself a car. You did not have one, and now you do have one. You didn't have it, and now it has been created anew for you. But then let's push it a little bit further, and let's say instead of buying a new car, you're into restoring cars. I met a guy yesterday in Metropolis that had a 1968 fully restored Chevy Camaro. Super nice. Yes, somebody said, my, my, my. That's the only amen. I'm going to get all sermons. Won't he do it? Hallelujah. That car. I knew the favor of the Lord on that man. Okay. Let's say, let's say you don't buy a car. Neos, you restore a car. That word is called kanos. That is the word that is used here in the Greek to explain what is happening in the new heaven and the new earth. Kanos refers to the quality of something that has been made, the quality of something renewed. You buy a new car, neos. You restore a car, kanos. You still tracking? Yeah. I'm going to use those words a lot, so you've got to stick with me on that. Neos, something brand new. Kanos, something restored, something that gets better and better and better. Now, someone could argue. They could say, well, just looking at the, at the book here, doesn't it say that I, I didn't see the earth? The earth had passed away. Well, what about that? How does that work? Well, that's all that we've seen in the book of Revelation. It's the complete renewal of everything that is happening. So when the Apostle John is looking at this, he says the sea is no more. And so everything that was once littered or tainted with the effects of sin has been remade. It has been restored. It's not he didn't create something out of nothing again. That's the language from creation. That's the same language for neos, but not for kanos. You still with me? Okay. Okay. It has been remade. It has been physically restored in this way. It literally says, I saw a renewed heaven and a renewed earth, and the former had passed away. That is literally, the sea is gone. And that's the kind of the final disclaimer that the Apostle John is putting on there. What did the sea stand for? Help me out. I forgot. What's the sea stand for? For danger? For what else? Death? Death? What else? One more. Fear, destruction, yeah. He says in that the sea was no more. What once presented itself so fearful, so destructive, so full of calamity, so full of death and suffering and war and chaos and anguish and all the things that the sea represented simply cease to exist for they have been renewed. They have been canosed. If you're not tracking with the illustration, I'll, I'll use it uh, in this way. So Chris and Kayla Campbell are really great. If you don't know them, you should get to know them. Uh, they own an interior design consulting firm, and they have done uh, all the work on the inside of our building as far as helping us figure out what, what it should look like, so to speak. And so in that, they've done it all, uh, pretty much free of charge, which has saved us literally tens of thousands of dollars. Lots of you have done lots of things to save us hundreds of thousands of dollars across the board. The reality is this. Kayla has this, I don't know if they're in here or not, but Kayla has this beautiful mind. It's beautiful, it's artistic, it's a little ADHD, so it's helpful in that regard. And she walks into places, man, and she turns rubbish into rubies. Like she reforms bathrooms and kitchens and whole homes. She gets to literally go in and be a part of this kanos. She gets to go in and be a part of recreating something new, restoring something new. And it's absolutely uh, incredible what she gets to do. The difference now between everything you ladies find attractive about what I just said, okay, in this kingdom right here, is that everything that Kayla and Chris are working towards to restore is going to go away. On one hand, that's great job security for them. That's great. Because in 10 years, the culture is going to say that thing's faded and it's going to physically fade. Jeff shared a story earlier. They just remodeled their bathroom and water starts seeping in behind the things they just built. That's the world we live in. The world we live in, as we know it, everything has an expiration date, which means then everything has a level of grief. So everything that they restore, no matter how Pinteresty you make your house look, okay, you're going to have to buy something else next fall, right? You don't have to. You're going to choose to. Let's be honest. For the four of you that giggled, your husbands were just like, hey, stop it. 
Everything will physically fade. Okay? Here's what I want you to hear. Hear me say this. Kainos. The idea that's being represented here in the text, okay? I'm going to present this to you as if I have it fully figured out. I do not. But the idea that's being represented here in the text is the Apostle John is saying that God is not just going to create something out of nothing as he did in creation, neos, but he's going to continue creating and creating and creating and creating and creating kainos. What that means then is like, and again, I, don't, I can't wrap my mind around this fully, church. But what he's saying and what is saying right here in the text is that there's a complete and total absence of sin which means there's a complete and total then absence of death, which means there's a complete and total absence of time, complete and total absence of grief. As we know it, there is only love and only grace and only mercy, and there is no time limit. All there is is the glory of God and what he loves to do, which is create. I don't know if you know this, we have a creator God. Right? Imagine what the arts are going to look like there when everything is just being made newer and newer and newer and newer and newer and newer and newer, and there is no end. Like, you want to study the sciences? Think about what science is going to be like in this world, where you get to study and you get to learn forever, and everything just gets newer and newer and newer and newer and newer. And I don't even think I can say for eternity, because there's literally just no time limit. That's what this is. We don't have a framework for that, because everything we know dies. And yet this is what is being offered to you. Tell me that's not incredible. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome, man. Creation renewed once, but then it's just going to get newer and newer and newer and newer and newer forever. That's what we've been invited into. Uh, to quote John Bradford, one of the English martyrs that was burned at the stake, uh, he had a saying, he said this, if this universe out if this universe out there, with all of its canyons and seas and skies and beauties and infinities and immensities, if this nature is what God gives to his enemies, which is what most of mankind is, what kind of world is he going to give to his friends? I'll tell you the world, church. It's a world that's just ridden with canos. It's just going to get newer and newer and newer and sweeter, and sweeter, and sweeter forever. Enjoy wrapping your mind around that for the rest of the day. Second point, not only do we have a renewed place, but we have a renewed people, right? There's a renewed place, but then there's also a renewed people. Verse 2, And I saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, uh, prepared as a bride, adorned uh, for her husband. I love this so much. Uh, two weeks ago, I got to set up the wedding supper of the Lamb. I had an incredible time. Getting to do that to refresh your memory. I, I talked about the meal as a, a meal of communion. It was a meal that had been prepared. The table had been set. There's literally nothing that you could have done. All that you did was receive an invitation. And I think I said something along the lines of, like, you don't dress for a wedding hoping to get invited to the wedding. That would be kind of awkward and uncomfortable, right? It's <laughs> all these things I want to say. I'm going to stay on track. That would be uncomfortable and a little weird, okay? But what happens is you know that that invite, you have that invite, and then you respond. That's what we said that week. If you guys, you guys remember some of that? Yeah, okay, so I'm not going to get in, into all that. What John is saying here is this is that bride. And so he says there's a holy city, there's a new Jerusalem. He's not talking about a place anymore. He's talking about a people. He's talking about a renewed people, a people that will experience kainos, a people that will receive a newer and newer. They will just get just newness and newer and newer and newer and newer forevermore. They're just going to continue to grow in glory and holiness, and righteousness forever, and ever, and ever, and ever, and ever. Like, this is the people of God. This is those, the, the saints and the prophets that laid the foundation for this city. He's seeing them coming down. He's saying the, the 144,000, which was not a literal number. He's saying, this is who that is. Do you see her? Just as you walk the, watch the bride walk down the aisle, and everyone stands to attention, so also the apostle John is standing there, and he's seeing this bride, and the doors are swinging wide open. Everyone standing in attention, looking at that bride, looking at then us who are in Christ and we have his righteousness has been given 
to us. And we kind of understand that now. We have a, his righteousness in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we only have so much. Like this little frame can only handle so much of God's righteousness. But in this moment, the doctrine of glorification says we are presented the way we were always intended to be presented. In full and perfect glory before the Lamb. That's incredible. Again, I don't have enough Christian imagination to even know exactly what that is going to look like. And in that reality then, I think, comes the conviction in the text. You guys want to get into the conviction and your need for Jesus, or should we skip that part? Okay, cool. The reality is, like, we all want to grow younger and younger. The idea of being made new is really beautiful, yeah? I mean, we want to grow younger and younger. We love the idea of growing uh, younger and younger. I, I joked in the last service, I'm only 37. I joked about not being able to read that, which I could not. I also joked about, like, I got out of my bed and my back hurt. Like, I wasn't working. I was asleep and got up and my body hurt. <laughs> and it's a brand new mattress. Like, the idea of getting older and older and older on that, in that sense does not seem very fun to me. But the idea of getting younger and younger and being made new does. I want you to think about this. Why do you become more health conscious as you get older? It's because you want to be made newer, not because you want to be made any older than you already are, right? Why do you care as you get older about going to the gym, prioritizing fitness, gym, going on walks? It's not because you really want to pursue being older and all the effects that come. You don't want to pursue that expiration date. What do you want to do? You want to try to reverse that expiration date. The idea of Neos sounds great. Being made new, being recreated sounds great. That's why we prioritize gym. That's why we prioritize diets. You also have all these other things. Why are mommy makeovers a hit in our culture? It's because they don't want to get any older and older. They want to get younger and younger, right? We look at someone young and we think they're beautiful. We look at someone old and you think, they live a good life. <laughs> you really think, my gosh, look how youthful they are, right? You're actually surprised. Sometimes, whenever you see someone that looks youthful and they're a little bit older in age than you thought, aren't you? Oh, I didn't see that coming. Right? You don't go to the gym because you want things to continue sagging in your life. You go to the gym because you want to tone them up. The idea of neos is very, very attractive to us. We all want to be made new. We all want to get back to youth. We love that idea. Let me keep pushing. Uh, why do churches stop talking about sin? Because they're scared you're going to leave. They don't want to show you a picture of who you actually are standing before a resurrected Jesus. And so whenever they, instead of showing you a picture of death that could lead you to life, they just keep telling you how good you're doing. They allow you to keep trying to recreate yourself new. Let's keep pushing in. Why do you avoid vulnerability? Because you don't want to have a real conversation about how you're actually doing because you don't want to actually look in the mirror and see who you actually are. Why do some of you treat the call to be in community as if it doesn't apply to only you? Because you don't want to surround yourself with brothers and sisters that will actually identify who you are and how you're doing. Because it forces you into a position to having to see yourself for who you really are. And it's not always so pretty. We're not always so pretty, are we? Why do you stay surface level? And we could ask all the same questions different ways. The answer is this. We love the idea of neos, being made new. But we do not want kainos, the actual process of being made new. So we want neos without... Kainos. I had them put it on the screen, I believe, so that you could get it. We want neos without kainos. We want to be created completely anew, but we don't want that process of becoming new. We want the instant gratification of being made new, but we don't want to do the process of becoming new. If you're a theological bobblehead, you could say it like this. You want salvation without sanctification. If that's too top shelf for you, you want relationship with Jesus without spiritual disciplines. If that's still not enough, you want to proclaim to be a Christian without doing anything. Your works don't save you. Jesus saves you. When you get that, it leads you to good works. It actually leads you to kainos. leads you to start walking out who you are in Christ. The idea of being saved sounds good, feels good, feels right. But the process of doing the actual lifting of getting in the word and being with God's people and being vulnerable and being transparent and actually opening up your guts and laying them out on the table in front of someone so they can speak good biblical truth to you is terrifying. It's a terrifying reality, yeah? And yet it is the only thing that continues us in our walk with Christ. We want neos without kainos. And I would argue this too, church. 
there are areas in your life right now that are keeping you from Kanos. I have no doubt in my mind that throughout the book of Revelation, by the power of God's word and the proclamation of the gospel, empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit, that Jesus hasn't showed up week in and week out and said, you need to lay that down. Like you're trying to bring some stuff with you into the kingdom that 100% does not belong. You're trying to bring some aspects of your identity into this kingdom that I have 100% ridded you of, and yet you're clinging so tightly to them. You like the idea of newness, like the idea of regeneration, like the idea of coming to faith, but the actual process of following Jesus is hard work, laborious work. And I guarantee that there are things when I say, hey, what did the Lord tell you to lay down? Something comes to mind. Here's also what happens. The enemy continues to speak and says this, but if you do it, you're going to have to tell the truth. And she might leave you, or he might leave you, or you might lose your job, or it might not be financially worth it, or you might have to, you could save face. You can do this. You can pursue a different route. You don't have to go that way. And what is he doing? He's offering you neos, create a new without kanos, the actual process of becoming new. All that process is going to do is lead you to death. You still tracking with me? I shared this story uh, last sermon. I was thinking about it because of last week, Pastor David's uh, sermon on TSA. Uh, I shared this before in a sermon. I was traveling to uh, Mexico with some people. I had my backpack that I have on me all the time. And I left a, a full uh, magazine of live 9mm rounds in my uh, carry-on, uh, which you cannot do, by the way. And so going through TSA with my backpack in my concealed pocket, we had just been at the range a few days earlier, and I left a magazine, just to be clear for those that don't use firearms, not like a book magazine, like a magazine that holds 9mm rounds that goes inside of a firearm that you shoot down range. Anyway, got up at 3 in the morning, you know, it's just one of those things. Got up at 3, thought I cleaned out my bag, didn't clean out my bag, get to TSA, but put my bag on the, whatever it's called, the conveyor belt, and I'm walking alongside it as it hits the computer. And I look at this lady and I go, I've done a terrible thing. I've done a terrible thing. And it's so funny. I can still see her, her eyes. She's like this, and she just goes. <laughs> Stared at me. And so I look at Andrew and my wife, and I go, I'm going to jail. This is the day. We knew the day was coming. We knew it was coming. Today's the day. Uh, didn't go to jail for that. Not on that trip, anyway. And... Um, I'm just kidding. But the reality is this. Like, for as frustrating as it is to take off your shoes and your belt and empty out your stuff, they're there for a reason. And the reality is this. It's not just their luggage. Let's use a better word. It's your baggage. And so you have the Holy Spirit. You have God's Word. You have missional community. You have a Sunday gathering. You have a very real risen Lamb of God who's sitting on a throne right now, and he's looking at you and he's saying this. There's some baggage you can't bring on this trip. And if you don't stop trying to bring the baggage on the trip, it's going to kill you. And so I'm going to ask you again, what is the thing that comes to mind, church? When I say, what are you trying to experience life clinging so tightly to that is failing you day in and day out? Because it's not going to take you where you think it is going to take you. As a matter of fact, if we pull up verse 8, Matt, he lists some of the baggage that we try to bring into the kingdom. He says, but as for the cowardly, that's those who are shameful to talk about who Jesus is. The faithless, those who profess faith more in themselves or someone else than they do Jesus. Uh, the detestable, that would be those who just find idol worship. Maybe it's alcohol, sex, relationships. Maybe it's your kids. You can idolize your kids. As for murderers, you can say, oh, I dodged that bullet. But then you read the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus got a different word for you, doesn't he? He says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder, but I say even if you have hate in your heart towards your brother, you're a murderer. So these aren't just black and white then, are they? For the murderer, for the sexually immoral, talked about all that a few weeks ago. Uh, for the sorcerer, those of you with essential oils. <laughs> no diffusers in the kingdom, huh? For the idol idolaters, just finding hope in false gods. For all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The Apostle John puts this in there. I mean, he's revealed this to him. It's shown to him. But you have to keep in mind, while he has this beautiful picture, the whole point of the book of Revelation is to both encourage and comfort and lead the early church to repentance and faith. It's meant to embolden them in a time during an incredible amount of torture is coming their way. 
okay? And so even as he puts this in there, he's writing, yes, it's a revelation, but he's also writing to the early church saying, hey, if you want to know if you're trying to carry some baggage with you, let me label it for you. Here's some of the things you're trying to bring into the kingdom that you can't bring into the kingdom. They simply don't belong. If you were to bring these into the kingdom and he was allowing you to bring those into the kingdom, it would not look like the kingdom of God that was adorned like a bride being brought down. It would be the kingdom of hell. Imagine a world that's just full of that, full of faithless, detestable, murderers, sexual immorality, sor- sorcerers, idolatry. Imagine that world, right? That's what hell looks like. Hell isn't some place with some dude running around a red singlet and a pitchfork poking people in the butt or whatever you got in your mind. What it is is the complete and total absence of God's grace and mercy. That's all it is, right? Look at some of the most vile things you can see on TV, and those things, as vile as you can picture in your mind, Genocide, some of the things we talked about in Revelation. These men who get small kids addicted to heroin and hand them AK-47s, the forgotten children, send them out to fight wars for them because they're cowards. Those things, listen, as detestable and heinous as those things are, are still marked in some way by the common grace of God. And so imagine then a kingdom with the complete and total absence of all of God's grace. That's what hell is going to be. It says that is it. That is the second death, right? We might die today and get to go be with the Lord. We die our first death. We don't die another. He's saying those who are trying to bring this baggage into the kingdom, you will have a first death, probably a physical death more than likely here, but then there's also going to be a second death where you have to spend eternity apart from God's grace and mercy forevermore. Now, what's the beautiful aspect of the gospel is this. God has given you his grace, all over the book of Revelation, how many times has, he, times has he looked at the unrighteous and said, but they did not repent, but they did not confess, but they did not repent, but they did not confess. And every time we have been given an opportunity to go through this book over the last 22, 22 weeks, church, we've been able to walk through this. And with every opportunity, that's another opportunity for Kanos. That for those who have professed faith in Christ, they be made newer and newer and newer and newer and newer in Christ now. Like, it's not a book that's like, give me Jesus and give me heaven, and then literally, not to be crass, the hell with everything else while I'm here. That's not the gospel. That's not biblical Christianity. It's no, give me Jesus. I profess my faith in Jesus. He's made me new. Neos. I don't have to do anything. I didn't save myself. I didn't try really hard. I didn't look a certain way. God himself came down and saved me. He did what I could never do. I try to do it every day. I court, try to do it every day. Try to recreate something that he's already recreated. Neos. And then he says, walk with me. That's Kanos. Does that make sense? And so that's why he gives us his word and his people. He gives us Sundays. That's why he gives us missional communities, HC Institute. All these incredible, incredible gifts of his grace given to us. Not to do programs. Nobody has time for that. But so that we can experience Kanos now. Listen. And then as we believe the gospel and we're being formed and reformed in this room, what do we get to do? We get to go out of those doors and walk out missional community. What happens then? We get to touch, we get to Kanos creation until he comes back or until we get to go be with him. We don't just show up on Tuesday nights with chips, call it missional community. Nothing missional about that. There's barely community if that's where you're at. So instead we get to hear the gospel and it forms us and reforms us and then we get to push out into the earth and literally brushstroke, I mean, yeah, brushstroke the gospel all over everything. That is Kanos in action. That's what it means to be a Christian. In the book of Revelation, as he revealed, maybe you're not living a life that way. If he has, I would invite you to lay down whatever it is he's calling you to lay down. Last thing is this, one point, one illustration, and then when I'm done, we'll stand for communion. Renewed presence. Renewed presence, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, I didn't just read it. I don't even have to preach it. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Come on now. We could just stop there, yeah? He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4. This struck me today. I'll share a story about it in a minute. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Let's just stop for a second. Think about all the former things that try to give you identity right now. All past sin, past experiences, feelings of shame, loss, a word that came to my mind this last three weeks, anguish, kind of a combination of all that. 
anxiety, depression, frustration, uh, relational strife. I mean, all of it. Adultery, backhanded conversations, backhanded questions where people come to you and ask you a question, but they're really just telling you something about yourself. You know what I'm talking about? It says the former things have passed away. That is, listen here. Everything, every reason that you hear the enemy speaking to you that says you can't be renewed is gone. It's gone. Any lie, any white lie, any speck of untruth that's ever been spoken to you, not just when you get there, but right now, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords says that has ceased to exist. New identity in Christ, Neos. Now just believe it. Just profess faith. Just walk in after everything understood. Profess faith in that truth and that reality, and he will bring Kanos through his spirit. You will look more and more and more like him, more and more, newer and newer and newer and newer. Verse 5, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Church, if you can't find a place that is trustworthy and true, this is it for you. And he said to me, it is done, exclamation point. I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, I am the beginning, and I am the end. And to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Emphasis on the word son, meaning we are to receive the inheritance of firstborn sons. doesn't matter if you're a guy or gal in the room to receive everything that was given to Christ because of his perfection has been given over to us, not because of anything we did, but because of the work of the Father. He gets it. That is what the presence of God looks like. This week, last story, and I'll be done. Last, this, in the last seven days, we've, uh, we've taken a placement. Many of you know that. We took a seven-year-old little boy into our house, and um, you'll get to see him run around. He's super fun. Uh, we're honeymooning right now. We know that, but... It's fun. And uh, in that, he's the exact opposite of my son, Josiah, who's also seven. Uh, Josiah is me. He's super emotional. He, I don't emote a lot. I cry a lot, but I don't emote a whole lot. And so I have to have other people around me tell people how I actually feel, you know. But I'm full of emotion. I feel everything. I feel the whole room right now. Uh, I feel when you guys cry. I feel when you laugh. I feel when we're counseling high empathy. That's Josiah. Uh, this kiddo we just brought into the house, just getting to know him, he feels a lot, but he doesn't emote a lot. Like Josiah is off. He'll cry. He'll laugh. This new kiddo, very, very quiet. He sh- I call him. I don't call this to his face. I'd say it in here. Safe space. He's space cadets. He's, he's gone somewhere in outer space. And he'll just sit and stare, uh, which is really impressive for a seven-year-old to be able to sit and stare for 27 minutes. It's also really sad because it reveals the trauma that he's been through in his life. They can lead him to disassociate for 27 minutes. So this week, I was uh, hanging out with him, talking to him. Long story short, we ended up on the couch. He's off in outer space, dealing, trying to figure out his emotions, which I get. I'm 37. I still can't figure them out. Anybody else? He's seven. Poor guy. Of course he doesn't know his emotions. And I took a minute to kind of take a minute to pray, get a step away from the situation, because it does become frustrating and hard, you know. And so I just went over and got on my knees next to him, and, and then all of a sudden, like, my whole story flashed before my eyes. And I was like, man, I, I remember what it's like to sit on a couch that's not your couch and wonder if your mom's going to come home. And I was like, and I, I know what it's like to sit on a couch that's not your couch and just worry about if your dad's alive or not. I get it. And I said, man, that is exactly why the Lord has you with us. It's like, I'm not the perfect dad. There's only one. But I am perfectly suited to sit with you in your story. And then... <laughs> Like little tears just pour down his eyes, you know. So as we reflect on verse 4, man, he'll wipe away every tear. Like the father can say he's going to wipe away every tear because he can fully identify with you in your tears. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief, the Bible says. He, he knows what you need, right? I'm not the hero of that story. Jesus is the hero of that story, and it says he has experienced everything that we've experienced. He's taken it all into him so that he can give us this renewed place, man, as a renewed people, in renewed presence, where all we will know is one another just getting newer and newer and newer in a place that just gets newer and newer and newer and in a glory that we just get to keep learning about forever and ever and ever and ever. That's what's on the table. 
If you don't know, if you don't know that, Jesus can talk to me. I'll tell you all about him. He's changed everything about me. I want you to stand. It'll be easy to take communion, yeah? Before you start opening up those wrappers, let me read to you from 1 Corinthians. Let me read you about what this dad, what this king did for us. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Here's the, the reality of this is we take communion every week. We always say it's not a religious event. It's a redemptive event. This is why we take communion. I'm going to say it again. I've said it three times. I have no doubt in my mind that he's calling you to let some down. There's no way you can be as engaged in a book as we've been in the book of Revelation and feel like you got it all together. There's no way. And so I want to invite you today, before you take communion, to confess, God, I'm, to ask him, God, what do you want me to let go of? Not just luggage, but baggage. What is weighing me down? What's keeping me from chaos? What's keeping me from walking with you? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a profession of faith. You can experience Neos right now. The Lord can save you right where you're at. Just let him know. I want to put my faith in you. Praise the Lord. Now we'll, we'll show you what it looks like to walk that out. Uh, but maybe it is Kanos. Maybe you have professed faith, but you just feel some anchor in you. I would encourage you today, not any cheesy way, nothing weird, to say, Lord, what do, you, what do you want? And just ask him to bring that to mind. I imagine he has in the last 22 weeks. I have no doubt about that. And then try to give it to him. Say, God, could you take the show me how you're better? Help me to give this over to you. Show me how you're the better than whatever this thing might be for me. And, and then attempt to give it to him. And then even in your attempt, we'll praise the Lord for your attempt. And then take communion and celebrate the gospel, that his life is your life, his death, your death, your, his resurrection, your resurrection. He sees you as if you're already seated with him in glory. Everything you're praying for and asking for, he sees it right now. Just have him make, ask him to make that real to you. Confess it. Take communion, feast with your king, feast with the Father, and then go about the day. The rest of the day, may it propel you uh, to form and reform the culture out there. May it propel you to Kanos uh, out there. Uh, for all the saints, this is a meal that's for you. The table's open.